This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just finally, from me, what's, what's the last thing you say to your players before they leave the dressing room? I'm not telling you. It's a private zone, and um, that'd be giving a lot of secrets away, so um, unfortunately I can't give you that information. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me to celebrate the inevitable, Gerard is a winner and now Villa only win. Mr. Chris Bird, Mr. Phil Shaw, and Mr. VillaUnderground.com, Dan Rogers. Welcome back. Hello, mate. Hello. How are you? Cheer up, Chris Bird. I, I'm very I, cheery, actually. I Thank sense you very much. negative tones there. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> Gerard has joined the elite club of him and John Gregory. What a party for two, that is. This is the beginning of our unbeaten season. You'll you'll look back on this as... And Dan Rogers has got a good record at <laughs> yeah, the moment a of uh, better prophecies. I've got a. If you need someone to cheer you up, Chris, I could always sort you out with a uh, Christmas jumper. Ooh, <laughs> I smell festive opportunity. So we're against Brighton. Brighton were unbeaten away until they met the the force of Gerrard. Crystal Palace were unbeaten at home. Stephen Gerrard, destroyer of records, conqueror of worlds, <laughs> maker of men. Is he the real deal? We, we are finding out fast that uh, I think he's a force for good, but we will discuss that later on. Coming up in the show, uh, we will go through uh, the latest villain news, including Perslow's promises to uh, three points, which uh, involve sex tapes, while most people spend most of the time researching uh, Villa for a Villa podcast. We spent most of the time researching a sex tape for this uh, podcast. Our search histories are very interesting. <laughs> Trying to get to the bottom of it. I still don't think we understand it to- <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, also, the fan-led review uh, before we get into Media Muppets, and then the aforementioned game against Crystal Palace. How are you, gentlemen? Not bad, not too bad. Thank you. Gig last night down in Essex, which was quite Ooh, amusing. Getting around. When's the, when's the last time you went to Essex? Uh, a couple of years, I would have thought. Oh. It's been a while. Apparently, the only way is Essex. I'm, I'm think it's open to debate, but does that make the heart grow fonder when it comes to um, Essex? In a word, no. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> Dan Rogers. No. Enlighten me about your life. <laughs> well, you know, as, as the world was world was ending, I kept refreshing, uh, kept refreshing the news with the dreadful storms that were going on. Everything seemed to be blowing away from Northern Ireland, so I expected Phil to appear on <laughs> <laughs> on your front lawn, <laughs> <laughs> my front lawn at any point. And then, amidst the storm, Villa obviously had won the game. Then, amidst the storm, this this, this postman staggered <laughs> staggered up my drive, and uh, I'm not joking you. The the Villa Underground Christmas jumpers <laughs> arrived <laughs> through sleet, snail. Snail, sleet, <laughs> hail, snow. Those things could survive the apocalypse. God, you're doing your damnedest to plug these fucking jumpers. I've got to get them out of my garage, man. People have got to get on there. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's why he's doing this show. Now I know. More importantly, how are you? We won't ask about Phil Shaw. No, don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. I went out uh, just to count the the trees that had been ripped out of their roots by this uh, storm. I I stayed in through most of it, but uh, it seems to be a pretty impressive one. There was a full-sized tree snapped in half in Cannon Hill Park. Yeah, well, over here, and we lost another of the Game of Thrones trees from the Dark Hedges. It's soon going to be just the Dark Hedge. <laughs> just a bush. Oh right, then, let's get into uh, the villain news. I was quite disappointed that uh, this wasn't a... Uh, live notification and live Churchillian address to the Villa Nation by uh, Christian Perslow, but uh, it seems that while while we wait for fan, a fan consultation meeting, which we actually insisted on last week, because there's been so many things that have been pushed through with zero consultation, that uh, it's become a bit of a joke. But uh, having a staged interview seems to be the best way of getting information uh, across to fans, so uh, there's no challenging of it. Listen, if you're going to run a dictatorship, you've got to run it properly. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. No room for weakness. Obviously, scouring the internet and seeing what was uh, disgruntling Villa fans, uh, one of the things was obviously this change of name at Company's House to V-Sports, which I think is just the first step to trying to build uh, an umbrella company for uh, other football clubs essentially and uh, investments into other football clubs so you haven't got that villa branding if you're uh, suddenly uh, buying it and I remember under Dr Tony they were looking to get a Danish club and that was going to be announced uh, this was after a fan consultation group meeting they told us and then the next month when it was going to be announced uh, nobody ever heard about it again but it's just an easier way of managing it isn't it to have an umbrella name that although linked to villa is not uh, as Aston Villa, because uh, mm-hmm. there's there's reasons why they change names as well for you know financial uh, financial I was going to say financial hallucinogenics. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it will allow us to sneak up on Birmingham City and just quietly acquire them, <laughs> turn them into a car park. Why would you want to buy a de- ah. depreciated need- asset like that? No, 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 no. He- that's huge. all part of the expansion of the train station, yeah. Yeah. or a, and, and a park, huge a value, yeah. Huge value in scrap metal as well. That stadium is almost well. It's it's dismantling itself actually. Uh, well, the main the main uh, thrust, uh, as well as uh, you know, first impressions on Stevie Gerrard uh, uh, mention of the January window where he said. Normally, they wouldn't have even entertained anything, but uh, if Stephen Gerrard wants anything, there might be uh, some room for some tweaks here and there. So, uh, and that's ins as well as outs. He said, you know, there yeah. may be people out the door, which would be probably less of a surprise. Don't be refreshing your Twitter feed every bloody uh, second because there's not going to be that many. I mean, I remember last window when Perslow did his address uh, after the Grealish. Uh, swap a Rooney transfer when he said uh, that was pretty much it August the 5th and and I said you know when you when you watch that video it's pretty much it people said no no it's just the beginning we're going to spend uh, 100 million and it's like well we just spent it didn't you pay notice to Danny Ings Wendia coming in and uh, Bailey so uh, this is not a you know this is not a uh, throw the money at the wall uh, routine now. This is a very you know it, it, they've got to the level where they've got a squad now. Now it's only uh, and a manager <coughs> and a manager. <laughs> 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 
and now it's just a matter you know it's it's tweaking and improving and uh, so it's not going to be wild uh, buying transfer parties uh, every window uh he also mentioned that uh this is kind of an ongoing saga, the whole stadium expansion, but it seems to be pushing it a bit more as uh, a going concern. Although he did mention that they were looking at plans and I thought all the plans were all kind of sorted out. So I don't know what that entails. Well, you mentioned it was like a three-stage thing, wasn't it? It was the actual expansion of the stadium, the commercial operations, and the, the big one he said, which was linked to the the latest version of the uh, the waiting list, which is apparently 20,000. No, it's 200,000. 250 million um, was that a lot of it was based around the corporate stuff. It was quite a corporate uh, address, really, in, in that respect. But the main thing is you can't go expanding until you've sorted out the transport uh, situation, uh, leaving Villa Park, whether it's on the road or trains, because at the moment it's just not fit for purpose. I mean, it's... Uh, it's as bad as any... It's inhumane. It is. It is. It's, it's as bad as any. I mean, we've all been to plenty of away grounds in the UK. Yeah. Europe, I can't think of many other worse, like like genuinely, and that that's embarrassing. Really, it's like you feel you have to go through, you have to be humiliated to get home. Like you have to stand in a queue for like a couple of hours, and then even then the, the train may not come, or it may leave before it fills up. It's a it's a situation that really needs some proper organisation. The problem is that the bureaucracy at rail companies is, is tedious. The amount of times we've been, you know, lobbying the club to uh, speak to the regional rail just to paint that bloody Whitton Bridge at the train station bridge there because it just makes the whole area look shit. So as well as doing a favour to the local residents, uh, you're also giving a better impression when uh, away fans come to town. They say it's not a total squalor, if if but that bridge just makes it look like a run-down, shabby well, that's the irony, isn't area. it? Villa, Villa, Villa want to polish their their jewel if you like uh, in in the heart of Aston and and the infrastructure in the immediate area bear in mind you've got you know <laughs> there are some quite straightforward things that you could do quite quickly and it's baffled me it's took to now to even talk about it bulldozing but... <laughs> 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 sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of a number of suggestions I put forward but not that there hasn't been a discussion. There is zero plan that it's bad enough getting 40,000 people away. You know, you've got people talking about two and three hour journey times to get away yeah. from Villa Park. What's your incentive? You know, why, what's actually, what is our incentive to go to 50,000 knowing that? Because the, the match day experience is, is defined, I think, for a lot of people by just how, I mean, my first experience was, we mentioned in the last pod of just how bad the trains are. I normally drive yeah. in. Driving yeah. is dreadful. Tra- I, I normally bike in. <laughs> I, I tell That's you. just through desperation, by the way. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fuck around on trains anymore. I'm getting out, and you know, this game where we kind of met up before, so uh, we were going to go back on the train together into town to, you know, have some drinks, and we had to walk home just because, you know, you just couldn't do it. No, and and uh, I, I just think that where this isn't all on the club, by the way, where where. Where the hell like are multi-agency, they? Multi-agency, don't they? Yeah, sorry, just uh, the club, in terms of that bridge, the club had off- offered to pay, I think, two or three times in my time, uh, you know, talking to them about it. They'd offered to pay for the painting, but it's it's just that the uh, regional rail just could not organise it or didn't want to organise it. And there's a couple of straightforward things you can do. I mean, with the roads, it still amazes me, like other grounds, that we don't it doesn't go, certain places don't go to a one-way system. Or we do other things that you've got to incentivise people, you know, just a small percentage of people to stay back after the game put something on you know yeah ice rink or something (laughs) (laughs) break some necks baby (laughs) Uh, well i could again drunken ice ring 
The list big, of suggestions. Big bar. <laughs> Paintballing in Aston Park. Paintballing on the ice rink while drunk. I think that's uh, that's how you, you kind of help the flow out of the ground. Suggestion I mean, you know, box. The amount of people that left uh, before Villa won the game against Brighton was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we're we're on the way home thinking it was nil nil, and they were they they were just ten, you know, they were all they got to do was watch the train leave half empty <laughs> yeah. in front of them. <laughs> they didn't actually get to go on it. Right, anyway, let's uh, let's carry on. Uh, we will see what happens, uh, but uh, it's like it needs to be. Uh, let's not have the cart before the horse. They needs to uh, they need to sort out that transport infrastructure before they start. Putting, pulling more people in, I would say. Dr. Mings is a thing. After Tyrone Mings was awarded an honorary doctorate of education from Bath Spa University, were they celebrating his rags to riches uh, rise? Or, but why, why did he get that? Well, Senegal would say he was born and raised in Bath and is a highly respected and inspirational figure in the local community, reading directly from the university's website. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now say what you really think Phil <laughs> so, so what's the real take Phil the real t- take is he, he was wearing a very silly hat and, but he he got a doctorate and uh, no mm, they, did, they did make slithering <laughs> they did make out that he uh, well sorry they did tell the story that he was rejected by a Premier League club at 16 and did work his way up through the ranks again so he was a he's a story of people that you know keep battler, trying a battler yeah, exactly yeah. you'll, you'll get there in the end yeah Quite extraordinary that he joined the lowly Aston Villa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a battler, a good example to us all. Meanwhile, uh, the under-23s were victorious against Burnley in front of Stephen Gerrard and his staff uh, as they had a big get-together on Monday night. But uh, the weather has... Uh, took hold of their next fixture. The under-18s, they're back in action with the Youth Cup uh, this week, is it not? Next week. Yeah, they've got... A, is it Leicester? I think yeah. Leicester, don't they? Speaking, speaking of the youth team, uh, they have signed... Uh a new player from uh, Coventry, Terry Katsakunya, who uh, is a defender. Uh, spent big on him. Is that just Coventry playing hardball, or is he super talented? They said six figures, but that could be a hundred grand or nine hundred ninety-nine thousand, couldn't it? So, hmm, we shall see. Or a hundred quid and loads of shrapnel in the other the other end of the decimal place. Right, uh, it's time for Media Muppets. <laughs> So, Phil, what's in the media Muppet trough this week? Surely not our old friends. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll we'll give them a break this week, just in case <laughs> in case we get accused of picking on them. So it's um it's the Chuck Wameka saga, and um, it's starting a bit early. It was started by the Guardian and their chief correspondent David Heitner. Now he wrote in the the Guardian that Carney Chuck Wameka will not sign a new contract at Aston Villa. Very definitive there. He will not sign a new contract, putting England's biggest clubs in alert, including Manchester City, Manchester United, and Liverpool. He goes on to say that the the eighteen year old midfielder, rated as one of England's most promising talents, has decided his future does not lie with Villa having grown frustrated at his lack of first team opportunity there's a few questions this way how does Carney know this when there's a new boss just straight in the door and there is a pathway as you can see with Jacob Ramsey in the team and Gerard's first job was head coach of the Academy of Liverpool yeah, so if anything, the pathway has opened even further. Um, but Are you calling bullshit, Mr. Shaw? I am calling bullshit, but even even this, Mr. Heitner knows this because... Mr. Heitner! Yeah, despite this being his first Villa article <laughs> since a fluff piece in Grealish during the Euros, he goes, Chukwemeka does not see it. He has no issue with Villa's new manager, Jared, who replaced Dean Smith this month. Rather, he has come to fear that the club will most likely rely on established players or signings at the expense of promoting youngsters. Well, I'm you sorry. Like every club in... Yeah. 
in professional sport ever yes so what what is the guardian sports editor or football editor doing here if i if i was in that position i'd read this so i was like what what, what's this (laughs) why are we paying you (laughs) yes especially since he's got two years left on his contract and it's a year before he can even go into like a a pre-agreement with another club so there's plenty of time talk sport of course jumped in the back of this and you can see by the the link in their website for the clickbait it was uh, man city man united transfer news carney chocomeca so that's that's a good headline you've got to give them that (laughs) yeah it's it's solid they were doing this with keenan davis it was like manchester united arsenal manchester city like basically stuff as many keyword big clubs with massive audiences in the headline to get them reading it it'll be off these are not articles for villa fans these are articles for the manchester united fans manchester city interesting he's getting a bit of hype (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually i think i might start doing that I'm going to re refire up myomansaid.com and just uh, just angle it to Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea. Nice new red colour scheme. No, you don't need to go that far. I, I'm just basically going to link Manchester United every day of the week to all of our players in, could, in like um, 20 separate articles. I mean, we could run like a guerrilla marketing campaign, couldn't we? We could just basically start writing articles about Vasilev and just put those clubs in. We, we could maybe get him transferred for an exorbitant <laughs> fee just by building his stock. <laughs> yeah, every every day another another big Liverpool in for Vasilev after he impresses in an, Miami. An unnamed source. Feel sure. Set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we know the equation here. Right into the three points. First of all, uh, the government's fan-led review was uh, launched uh, on the twenty fourth of November. This is something uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I've been involved with in a, a little bit. I've had a meeting, uh, well, a few meetings through the Football Sports Association and with. Uh, Tracy Crouch and her committee that was set up to uh, look into this. Many, many uh, supporters and supporter groups did give their uh, input, and that forms the basis of uh, of a lot of what is in the report, which is very thorough. It's, I mean, it's almost 200 pages. And uh, we had a meeting with Tracy Crouch after the launch uh, on Friday uh, last week. David Michael is actually credited in the report as well, on the same page as Christian Perslow. Who came out uh, and had, did the rounds for the uh, the Premier League? Wasn't too happy with the idea of an uh, independent uh, adjudicator. Doesn't work in a dictatorship. I've said this already. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention. I mean, this is something you need. We, you know, you would need to really understand what that actually curtails. I mean, uh, sp- speaking to uh, Tracy on Friday, she was saying this is you know something that potentially could be absorbed into the FA. I mean, one of the reasons why we're at this point in football and you know as we say on this podcast this the whole industry you know it's it's just imploding you can't have clubs going into liquidation and you can't have like big clubs like villa being in a situation where they can't even pay their tax bill i mean this is a a review of the governance of football uh more than anything else well you've got spurs at the moment with a a a debt north of three quarters of a billion pounds which is uh not sustainable on any balance sheet no, the, and the government, and this is cross-party as well. Uh, <laughs> when you look at it, uh, I mean, the, you know, if you look at the Conservatives as a uh, as a party, one of the things their mantras is is not to interfere. Uh, you know, in terms of business and free markets, uh, etc. But it's got so bad football that even the Conservatives are talking about uh, independent regulators. <laughs> 
and I having that, having to step in here. So that's how bad it is. I mean, he didn't get his job at the UN. They could bring Matt Hancock across to sort this mess out, couldn't they? He would do a fine <laughs> job. So uh, this is something that, I mean, all supporters should be uh, haranguing their MPs about. And, you know, really, this is, you know, it's a once in a generation uh, chance to... Uh, improve f- football i mean most football fans and you know i'm not putting the finger but you know most are just happy to uh buy merchandise go to the odd game and they're, they're mainly passive uh, consumers and when they've got anything to moan about just moan about it on twitter but this is a real opportunity to actually do something and there's a pathway now and that you know the government and all political parties are behind it and uh you know apart from Perslow there's there's a few premier <laughs> clubs as well but no i mean christian Perslow across the board is uh, in terms of if it's a holistic approach appreciates that a lot of things you know have to change and i think his only uh, issue was this uh, the regulator and also the idea of trickling more money down uh, the pyramid and do you get punished for being successful i think was uh, the mantra of what he was saying and there's also a question of if you've got incompetence below and you're giving them money and that money's being squandered then it's a bit uh, it's a bit of a fruitless task isn't it why get punished and have to put more money down the pyramid if it's actually just being wasted so uh, the lower leagues have to pull up their uh, socks but uh, it's 188 pages i mean i'll go into more details uh, elsewhere i'll probably do a uh, yeah if you could uh, circulate a summary please david that'd be appreciated <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just some bullet points will do yeah right point number two Bizarre game. Bizarre game in Portugal. Benfica's match against Belenenses was abandoned amid farcical COVID disruption. That's what it says here. That's what it does say there. Now, you would imagine this game would not happen in the Premier League. Belenenses couldn't actually field 11 players due to uh, COVID illnesses. So they went into the game with nine players, started with nine. Benfica was 7-0 up. And by the way, that nine players included two goalkeepers, so uh, one goalkeeper playing outfield. That's why Villa stockpiled five keepers, just in case. Contingency. Yeah, because of the... put Kalinic up front, you never know what's going to happen. The match was called off a minute into the second half uh, when the opposition were left with just seven players. And the rules are you've got to... Uh, it has to be called off if it goes below seven, isn't it? Yeah, so they, they, had, they came out after the second half with seven someone goes down it's like well we can't play now yeah so it was called off so you know this is like after covid testing 17 cases were found this is before the game amongst players and staff now that is uh surely you just lock the club down you wouldn't let them travel lock down the club and postpone the fixture that's what that's what happens in normal you wouldn't want league. to be mixing with the survivors either would you just <laughs> yeah <laughs> We'll forfeit. But, you know, Benfica President Rui Costa said his side was forced to play and said, uh, so he's he's blaming it basically at the uh, the foot of the Portuguese uh, Football Association. Which looks pretty fair, to be honest. He said uh, he called it a dark chapter for Portuguese football. So this, you know, loop this back to why you needed a uh, fan-led re- review of football governance. It's because the people who run the game are incompetent. And here's another example. Anyway, moving on swiftly and on to this aforementioned sex tape. Uh, <laughs> the moment you've all been waiting for. Yeah, Kareem <laughs> Benzema has finally been found guilty in this uh, sex tape blackmail uh, scandal. I mean, just recap. Uh, Matteo Valbuena, who was uh, 
a French uh, international player alongside uh, Benzema. There was a tape of his, a sex tape, involving him, and uh, somebody was threatened to uh, get it out there. There was, uh, was it five other people involved. I don't know if it was. I don't know if they're all in the the the, the actual sex say. tape. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the tape. <laughs> But uh, Benzema and four other people were on trial and uh, they were actually handed jail sentences ranging from 18 months uh, suspended to two and a half years in prison. Benzema got a one-year suspended jail term in order to uh, pay a £63,000 fine. I mean, ultimately, uh, he was encouraging uh, Valbuena to pay the uh, the amount because he said these were like some he- heavy duty thugs. Uh, but I still don't understand if he was doing it to take a cut. And you know, why why would you blackmail somebody unless he didn't like him to take a you know how how much money has uh, Benzema got? Why would he want to take a cut from a uh, a blackmail uh, on a sex tape? That's that's the bit I don't clearly understand. It just must have been a very, very good tape. We we have to just boil this down <laughs> to simple urges. I think that <laughs> it was clearly worth clearly worth eighty four thousand dollars or euros to him. So yeah, it's worth googling that and uh, having a dig yourself because uh, this is only three points. Use a VPN if you're googling it. Yeah. All right, let's move on to this game, shall we? Game number two. Win number two for Gerard. Uh, as I said earlier on, this was always going to be... I had a good feeling about this game. I, I mean, I built it up in the uh, something for the weekend saying, you know, Palace, seven-game run, unbeaten run, unbeaten uh, at home. But they just drew... They draw all the games, don't they? So it was always something that... Uh, if Villa could just keep it tight and then hit him on the break. But was you surprised uh, by the, the starting lineup Because Young came in... Bailey started. Uh, probably your first impulse is thinking, eh, maybe we're a bit lightweight here, but I get the uh, the counter-attacking uh, setup here to obviously have Bailey's speed and Watkins' uh, speed up, up top. Thoughts? It was the look of a... You know, he was rewarding the team that got them over the line in the last 10 minutes against Brighton. You know, that, that side finished well, and I think he was impressed with Ramsey's performance for, you know, the sort of 70-odd minutes he was on against Brighton. And from what we gather in the uh, press conferences, he's been glowing about his training performances, so put him in as well. And it certainly looked a lot more of a balanced team. I was surprised that Billy started, from what you said, because he didn't seem 100% fit in any time we've seen him so far, but he lasted more minutes than usual in this one. Yeah, and it uh, was, was pretty effective. Uh, in the first half, you can see just by uh, the way they shaped up defensively Crystal Palace you could understand why they were getting you know so many draws but uh, Villa were forcing the issue but the the good thing about Bailey was it there was a bit of an you know unpredictability about his play and uh, he was useful in terms of trying to you know pull apart that kind of rigid two bank defensive system that uh, Palace had don't you think as well with it, it is important to get game time in the Premier League as well? And I mean, we've spoken about that the three new arrivals really hadn't had that much time together, but Bailey hasn't played much football at all, really. Yeah. Um. So, so getting him in there, and, and I think you could, you could see that he had a role to play, but there, there are a few characters in that squad who I think look completely, completely different to how they were under Smith. It's, you know, Matt Target's been, uh, to use Phil's phrase, has been reprogrammed into, I don't know, 
Philip Lahm or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, Nakamba's clearly going for African Player of the Year on the basis of the last 180 minutes. And um, it's, uh, you know, the likes of Bailey. I thought Bailey played with an intensity that I'd not seen him play before. You know, there was a moment where he lost he lost the ball in the first half where I don't, you know, he, he won it back and, you know, almost led to a goal. And you think, well, that's, you know, following team instructions, but getting up to speed as well, getting up to the speed of the Premier League. Yeah, because I mean, the, the the simplest recipe for getting this Villa team back on its uh, feet again was go back to what was good about the defence, i.e., back four. You know the personnel. Martinez, no, uh, no pissing around. I was going to say no uh, piss arsing around with the defence. <laughs> <I'm happy to. laughs> yeah. You know, no uh, back threes. When I, I understand that the, the back three, when you got a particular opponent in mind but when I think we said it matchly when you revert back to the back four because the back three is not working anymore and then you drop Mings on the first time you do it when you kind of need him against West Ham and you should be going back you know the cliche go back to basics this back four was pretty successful last season so go back to that don't piss around it's exactly what Gerard's done now the 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 main th- you know the main key to unlock this filler team and uh, Smith never got to, to the root of it and you know obviously he's he's had a lot of injuries this season so he's never really had a full deck to play with was to get that balance in the midfield and Ramsey and Nakamba did provide a, a dynamic and balanced uh, presence I mean Ramsey was certainly doing well in terms of linking uh, you know the phases of, you know the phases of the team from defense midfield to attack. And, uh, you know, Nakamba just gave us more bite than we normally have. And f- it gives, gives McGinn a bit of freedom as well. Yes. <clears throat> if you're picking a three for the Villa midfield out of the, all the options available, they're probably the three least fashionable choices you would pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, R- Ramsey's uh, Ramsey is catching the eye, isn't he, at the moment? And you know, seems to be getting lots of praise from 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 all quarters, but but warranted as well. And you're absolutely right with the what you say about McGinn. McGinn looks like I mean, we we over the years we've done this podcast, we've had plenty of midfielders who felt shackled, and he feels off you know off the leash uh, a little bit, and very very dangerous against Palace. And you know his goal was his goal was outstanding. But his contribution yeah. across the 90 minutes was superb as well. And that wasn't something you could say consistently uh, towards the end of the Smith reign. Yeah, because, you know, as I've said before, that the best 11 players uh, that Villa have got aren't necessarily our first 11. And I think this definitely applies with the Ramsey-Nakamba situation in terms of enabling us to uh, play effectively with that, that front three, whether it's uh, Watkins, Bailey and Ings or Watkins, Bailey and Young. Uh, as in the, the, this case, it's uh, it, I don't know. It just it just seems to work. And when and lo- for the first time you, you looked at the selection and you actually looked at our bench, probably for you know, one of the few times this season, you're looking at sort of Buendia, Louise, El Ghazi. You got Danny Ings on there. You're thinking actually that's got the shapings of, of not a bad match day squad now. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were joking before uh, earlier on in the season when we had Bailey and Buendia on the bench, you know, saying, oh, we've got two £30 million players on the bench now. This is, uh, you know, we're on the up. Problem is we didn't have much on the field at the same time. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I mean, in the, in the first half, I thought, this is how you want to see Villa play away from home. This is like uh, mm-hmm. the par 
Now, if you know we're going to get beat in a game, then that, the opposition have got to play really well to beat that kind of level of what we put out against Palace in the first half. I mean, what, what do you think were the main uh, contributors to the success of that first half dominance? I think there's a there's a balance, a, na- a natural balance in terms of just your personnel. I think because they know the defensive shape and he's built them to be solid. I mean, you look at things like the, you know, the possession stats, I think Palace had over 60% of the ball, but we you saw it against Brighton as well. We're becoming quite efficient when we actually get the ball. We're actually using it in a productive way rather than kind of, as we've seen down the years, you know, aimless passing that doesn't go anywhere. I don't think that, you know, Gerard wants to play a ball retention-based game, but at the moment that might not suit our personnel. So it's about getting the best out of what we've got. And we've got pace to burn in wide areas with a number of personnel. We've got a little bit of mobility in the middle of the park now with someone like a Ramsey. McGinn, a little bit further forward, gives you a bit more bite. And he can drop in, but he also gives you the drive that you need. And with Nakamba, I think he gives you a really solid base to build off. Whereas Louise is clearly the better ball player. But in terms of the the, the simple job of what a number six is to do, or is, to, is he when is he to dis- <laughs> is, is to disrupt? When he came on, he was a sloppy old boy, wasn't he, old Louise? Well, he hasn't played for a while, has he? Yeah. Um, uh, but- what, what do you think of like? I thought Bailey and Young were quite narrow. Actually, they weren't playing like out and out. Uh, let's say wide forwards. They were. Well, they step. They step in, don't they? Yeah. It allows the wing backs to bomb on, a I, bit, I, which is exactly how Rangers played. Yeah, that's that is a good point. I think that what it what it created was it it, it crowded Palace and it, it allowed us to play with more yeah. intensity and and that made uh, Vieira's side. I thought they they looked very nervy on the ball. It forced errors and there were two or three times, first off particularly where it caught. Well, the one the the one that sticks in my mind there was uh, where where the McGinn deflected cross caused absolute disarray because Villa were moving um, triangles really uh, around them and I think that. That intensity in the press um, is, is proving very effective. You can't keep it up over 90 minutes, but I think when you layer that with what I see to be, I, I felt we'd become a bit nice under Smith and there were, I counted six or seven moments where the dark arts were, were for once uh, being deployed by us. You know, whenever the ball went dead, it took us an age to do anything with it, you know, in the first half as well. There was a defining moment because they started started to get ahead of steam later on and momentum switched to them. And then you saw the dark arts in play where Martinez certainly had a real bad case of cramp. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> mysteriously, it just took it like a couple of minutes. <laughs> and you thought, oh, that's him out for the season. And he immediately really. pumped the ball up the pitch full force <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. with the dead leg. So, <laughs> whole whole so, idea of that was to take the sting out of Palace because they were getting you know the upper hand. Well, I mean, even in the first half, the whole match in film was a feisty enough game. The tackles were flying yeah. in, from, from, especially from Palace, and that just showed how frustrated they were getting as, as Villa passed their way around them. And the, the referee didn't control the tackles at all. I mean, there's a plenty of tackles from the, on the Palace end that could have been, you know, a second yellow or even a red in, in some cases. The referee auditioning for the part of Forrest Gump, mostly, I thought, for the, <laughs> yeah, for the I afternoon. I thought he was dreadful. I they got young pretty badly sides, and wasn't it through the back. I mean, that, that was a, a nasty one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We said at halftime in Match Club, uh, he, you know, it wouldn't bet against a red card uh, in in the second half. Here, we didn't expect it the most likely candidate to actually be a substitute when uh, Douglas Louise came on. He was desperate to send Louise. He ran across with his Couldn't cock, get his red. cock he get out fast enough, could he? 
because it because he had been a bit sloppy. I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, send sell him to Manchester City now. <laughs> but then when you saw the replay, you thought, that's, there's no way that's a red card. There's no. nothing in it. The, the crazy thing about that was one earlier. I think it was Nakamba. Nakamba comes across one of their guys and catches him on the ankle. Gets gets a yellow. Far far worse challenge. Yeah. And the one with Luis, there was just nothing. Nothing even live. You like what? What have you seen that no one else has seen? You yeah. blithering idiot. Yeah, the Nakamba one was a, a, a big enough moment in the match because he wiped out Zaha and then the ball yes. broke through to, yes. um, I think it broke through to Benteke and the referee didn't play advantage or else Villa could have been in a bit of trouble there. Yeah. Again, it was that was another poor decision. You'd say it's a neutral, but like the ref actually didn't have a very good game for both teams. You know, Watkins was clean through, wasn't he, and got wiped out, which was probably, you know, on, on some days that would be a red as well. There was three alleged... Watkins penalty penalty shouts. penalty shouts. I'm sitting here. Uh, I don't feel hard done by any of them, really. I think I can't remember it cleanly. I can remember the second one and the third one. And first one, he third. went down very easy, didn't he? Yeah, right. Because the third one, the the guy actually got the ball twice, and uh, we we did talk about this. Uh, how Watkins isn't convincing when he's diving, is he? No, <laughs> he's no he's no Bruno Fernandez, is he? He's no okay. he's not going to win an Oscar, <laughs> is he? At this rate. And I think that affected his. He probably had a more reasonable shout later on in the game. But if you've if you've sort of collapsed to the ground like he did for the for the other couple, it, yeah, it doesn't. Because uh... I think that, I mean the main reason was he was always in situations where he had three men on, and so you know any foot you know whether you're a referee or any any football fan, you're looking at that and you're thinking that's a hopeless task, and so you're expecting him to go down because he's think you know you're thinking oh the players thinks oh fuck me this is a hopeless task that's trying to win a penalty here and you, you know you can see it coming a mile off. I think it's his how predictable. Style. Yeah, it's his playing style as well because you wouldn't say that he's got close control. I mean, you look at somebody like Buendia when the ball comes in him, the ball is like stuck to his feet. Watkins, the ball is always just you know half a yard in front of his foot. Is the way he plays so that he can knock it past somebody and run. If the yeah. ball is like if the ball is never at his feet it's just always ahead so it gives players I mean defenders just step in front of him and then while it may be a penalty it should be a penalty it just doesn't look like it because it looks like he's actually lost control but he's so quick that he he does he hasn't lost control yeah but what, what about you guys? Any of anybody think we were hard done by uh, in any of those penalty shouts? I think you're you naturally obviously don't feel hard done by because it didn't affect the result. You know, we've been on the receiving end of some absolute dog turd decisions from referees, especially at Sellers Park uh, in previous years. Note Lansbury decision that could have been defining in Villa's you know recent future. Um, sorry, a recent past. Sorry, this one it's like you get away with three points. You actually go, well, do you know, what? actually we did enough without the decisions to get the win anyway. So yeah, I, but I what about the decisions? I don't feel hard done by. They're not stonewallers for me. None of them. No, I didn't, I didn't think so either. You know, the ones that's not to say you haven't seen them given because you've seen some garbage given, but I don't. Is, they're one of those ones that if that goes against you, I think you're annoyed. I think the concern is, and this one I was more concerned about the standard of officiating. Really, that he was so inconsistent, and I don't know whether in fact it was his first Premier League game. It, it didn't give you any confidence. You know, he was shit to both teams no. ultimately. Yeah. But, yeah, he was. But if that big decision had come, and that I, I just I, I worry about, especially in the scenario at the moment where VAR basically did allows the on-field referee to make a call. I was not confident at all with him going up to that screen and checking the uh, uh, checking the Luis decision. Yeah, that was like a um, bonus, wasn't it? When yeah. he stayed on, like, oh, bonus. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 brandishing the red second time did did you know <laughs> smash yeah. a keyboard? Used everyone twice. <laughs> right there, there you go. That's that's six game suspension. You got two red cards. <laughs> but I've no idea how Miladjovic stayed on for hack 
tracking down Watkins because we they said there was another defender there, but Watkins was in the process of running past the other defender so to again, have the shot. a goal-scoring opportunity. I mean, yeah, when I mean, did that definition a, change? It was as blatant a red card as you, you'll ever see. I just I couldn't get that. But it all. came immediately after the Luis decision, didn't it? And yeah. he he was never in a million years going to going to send anyone off it for the home side. Yeah, wanker. I think the fact that they had a defender close probably saved their guy there because I think actually he had he made no attempt to play the ball there. Yeah. But because there was a defender close, that was probably enough of a doubt in the referee's mind that he thought, well, was Watkins actually going to score there? We'd be talking about this very away. differently if, if McGinn hadn't got on to score and they get a scabby late goal. Yeah, I think that absolutely. would be my... That's where I get fucked off with shit, shit officials because I think it... Yeah. It doesn't balance out, does it? Really, it's because you, you have no, to make your own look. We've, because we've got the win, we can kind of be a bit more pragmatic and go, "Yes, he was dreadful, but luckily, it didn't affect us." Palace did shift up through the gears, and we we started to get deeper and deeper. I they still brought Eze on, didn't they? Yeah, I'm still surprised they scored though with their little scabby goal, as you called it. Scabby, yeah, it was a scabby. Did you think the perhaps we we might have thought, well, this game's won, so we could relax? Well, I mean, it's pretty late when we got the uh, the second goal. I think just, so. I think it was just an awful cross. It wasn't. It wasn't even a good cross. It was the fact that yeah. it sort of bounced and went in didn't end of that no man's land. And he didn't even get a clean connection. He just sort of studded it past Martinez. Yeah, Martinez sort of dives, expected him to hit it cleanly, and it kind of just rolls under. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was too little, too late. So you know, it wasn't that bad. It just just took the gloss off uh, Gerard's desires for clean sheets. But I'm really, in terms of our goals, I'm I'm really pleased for both goal scorers. You know, targets kind of looked a different player the last two games, and the you know getting getting you know, getting his sort of customary once a season goal will give him a no end of um, confidence. And I was really surprised to uh, to read that that was, was it the tenth goal that Palace have conceded already this season from a set piece, which is woeful. Good yeah, job we've got a specialist uh, coach in the uh, to work these yeah. things out. Luckily, we've got two <laughs> for a team uh, that was unbeaten at home that's drawn so many games. I didn't think uh, I thought there would be the basis of that was through uh, sound defence, uh, especially against uh, set pieces. I was surprised to hear that. I didn't, yeah, they weren't great on the day. And then I, I think actually the, the real, everything that Gerard has talked about how he wants to play, I thought transpired with our second goal. We had some great movement and uh, interplay through oh, midfield. It was a gentleman's was explosion Garcia. moment, wasn't it, that one? <laughs> it was. That, yeah, was finally, that was finally where you saw Villa make more than three passes, consecutive passes. Yeah, it was like right incisive play around the penalty area, which we haven't seen a lot of really, especially um, this season. But we have it in our team. We have it in our players. I mean, under yeah. Smith, there was moments where, where you're expecting to play like this. To You know, I, I, you know let's, um, let's be honest about this. You expect to play like that more frequently. You know, when you, know, you go back to that goal against Arsenal where we, you know, hunt back 20-odd passes before we put it in the net. In the 3-0, uh, in the 3-0 game last season, and you think that this is, and this is what the Smith mantra is going to be all about, you know, attacking, free-flowing, passing. And we, we hardly saw that uh, in recent times anyway. So yeah, it was great to see that. And you thought that El Ghazi had uh, sp- spunked the chance, but it was El Assisti instead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got El Ghazi kneeled down now, doesn't he? He's worked out that you need distilled El Ghazi. You don't need the full 90 minutes. You need him concentrated down into that 15 minutes of good El Ghazi and just use it, yeah. just when to use him. Yeah, it's I mean, lovely we, reverse, Karim. Yeah, I was just about to say, uh, we all know that, uh, you know, when we went through that period where training ground players were mentioned, I think it was by Smith, and we started to second guess who were the training ground players. And we know that Al Garcia is a training ground player. And uh, Gerard's, you know, obviously, new manager comes in and 
it's the old fresh slate. So he's judging them a lot on training ground. And obviously Al Ghazi is a good training ground player. So that's why he's getting in. But as you say, it's right. I think he works as a, a sub because he does. I mean, I, he's I, always I been able to impact games. That's the thing. Yeah, he has. And you know, you look at his stats last season compared to like a Grealish. And actually, in terms of assists and goals, he generally delivers stuff. Yeah, can, relatively consistently. And that's not um, playing a lot as well. It's just no. It's just his overall output, ninety minutes elsewhere on the field, that frustrates the crap but that, out of people. But that's where you, you can't be reliant upon players like I've no. got. And it's the sentiment thing, isn't it? That I think that it, yeah, it's yeah. easy that someone could say, but easily of me, you know, you just you know, scapegoating type A, or you're always backing him out. I, I just yeah. don't think that I don't think he gets into many or any teams who are above us in the league, you know. And, and that's yeah. you know, I think if we're in in, in a Perslow spirit of continuous improvement, uh, I don't think I don't. I don't think how guards is it, but <laughs> but, um, but in that moment, I, mean, I think he's a starter. I, I quite like him as a member of our squad. I think he can be a, a useful asset. But I, I agree in terms of moving forward. Is he going to be? Well, you saw in maybe, the you saw in the goal he's, what he's he can do. Have to level up. You know, it's good link up. Yep. Um, you know that the, the, move, the movement behind Buendia. I mean, the, I, I did not see Buendia making that pass because he was facing the other bloody way. So the Palace defence never saw that pass coming. But he finds McGinn, and that's that's all you've got to do, haven't you? You know, and it's great for McGinn as well. You know, that the amount of times I've been frustrated at Villa Park when you see the ball fall to him on the edge of the penalty area on his right foot, and I think he said after the game, didn't he? That the manager's just been telling him if you're anywhere near the penalty area, have a crack. Yeah, because we've seen what he can do. He's got an absolute hammer of a left foot. Um, and actually, it was a McGinn side footer. Sorry, side sorry, in the you top can't it's a use, finish. sorry, sorry, you can't use that word hammer of a left foot. That is trademarked by Tommy Hitzelsberger, <laughs> what, what, and what, what, uh, we would get prefer? sued. We would get sued. Okay. You can't refer no, to it as a wand of a left foot either, because that's Steve Staunton. <laughs> yeah, so there's no wands, there's no hammers. Like we're looking at thunderbolts. <laughs> so what, maybe go, Scottish related. Go, yeah, go go for the cliched Scottish. I don't know. I, an iron brew of a left foot. I don't know. <laughs> got an iron brew of a left foot. A there we go. That'll Toss, do. Tossing the caber. Tossing the, a caber of a left foot. Caber of a left foot. There you go. But it's great just to see to start seeing him getting into those positions. Yeah. Well, he's already equaled as goal as goal tally for the previous two seasons. So. Hopefully he's going to break that. Which is bad, really, for a player of his ability. Yeah. It shows how, he, as David said earlier, he has been shackled, but you put him in those areas... I didn't areas say like he was shackled. You Scotland. said he's shackled. I just said he's crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. I was you shackling him. <laughs> I, I said he was, he's been hot and cold. This I, I didn't say it this episode, but previous episode, it's been hot and cold. And if he is a good player, we're not getting the best out of him. No, and certainly not consistently. was... You see moments like Palace, and you think actually that's where you want to see him. And I think Gerard, no yeah, can't. I think that's very much on Gerard's radar. Is how do I get the best out of him? Because I like him. I think he's a good player. How do I get the best out of him? You don't want him. In, yeah. You don't want him misplacing passes on the halfway line. You need him further up, don't you? And you don't want him taking the ball off the back four either. No, you want his energy. Whether it's pressing or you know just harassing in the opposition's half to help well, he Watkins, went very very close in the first half. After I think it was Watkins yeah, we, retrieved it on uh, on touchline and he had a curling effort that was, it was really oh, close, that was I thought yeah, that I thought was, it was in. in. Mm-hmm. That was early. Mm-hmm. He was very it? dangerous. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. very dangerous. I mean that deflected cross that that Palace almost managed to uh, knob into their, their own net. <laughs> <laughs> but although we had a pretty good go ourselves, actually, second half. Yeah, didn't we had cash, a, cash and, the uh, cash one, yeah. Cash tried to fire, fire a ball up Conza's that, arse. That Polish chap with his new Polish ways. <laughs> no, I think no. across, across the field, you can just see already just a little bit of confidence yeah, and cash, belief. Cash, a, a very good game again. Very, very good game. I thought both fullbacks again have since played well. Since he's become Polish, he's got a lot better, I thought. 
defensively. He's playing like an international player. Yeah. I think actually Cash has probably been our most consistent performer this season. Yeah, so I would probably second that. Even when we were, you know, even when we were crap. Uh, right, let's move on. Uh, what was uh, the stat of the game? Well, you can take your choice, but I quite like the Matt Target one. Villa are actually yet to lose a game when Matt Target's been on the score sheet. Yeah. He's scored three goals and uh, we've got three, two, one well, wins. Well, you know, if that goal committee had been a bit stricter, he would technically have two own goals this season, which lost us the game. <laughs> 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 and he gave away a penalty against Arsenal, which ultimately lost us that game as well. So it's about time he paid yeah. us back. Yeah, and he always seems to score. He always scores big ones, doesn't he? The the other stat actually was uh, Ashley Young's now our highest Premier League assist maker of all time, forty two apparently. Same as his age. Mm, close. That's, that's what age he's going <laughs> to. Ben, or Benjamin Button. He'll still be playing for Villa at forty two. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I like having Young in the squad. I got to admit, because he uh, over this hundred years of doing this podcast, we've we've always occasionally in conversations it cropped up. Wouldn't it be good to have, let's say, a match day squad player who's older, you know, older experience, has a bit of know how to, you know, just to be in the squad, just to bring on certain moments, and he's he very much fits the bill, and he's still as fit as a fiddle as well. It's a bit of an upgrade yeah. on a Glenn Whelan, isn't it, for for comparisons? Yeah, uh, yeah. For, a, for a senior player, for a senior pro, and he went close in the he had a close, close free with that free kick, kick wasn't he? Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. he's the he just he's the enforcer composure. now. Yeah, he's the enforcer, Ashley Young, short sleeved Ashley Young <laughs> is the enforcer. You can see the guns come out, and he just he's he's always in the referee's face. Yeah, I was going to say you talk about the dark arts, Ashley Young. If anything happens, he's the first one there. He's learnt from the best at Man United and Inter Milan. Yeah. He is. This is learnt a bit of that. And I, and I, I always like when we get a goal. And I think I mean we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when Gerard first arrived. But I think he acts as a really good conduit between Gerard and he's he's kind of almost like, like a player coach, but he's that senior yeah. captain figure that actually he he will no doubt be Gerard's eyes and ears. He changed the game against Brighton. He did. He was doing that under Smith, wasn't he? You, you saw it yeah. in every uh, you know the huddles before the game. You know the, the yeah. just before the kick up kick off, he would go to every player and give him encouragement. And he, you know, after the game, he'd go up to Perslow and say, Will you sack this fucking useless? <laughs> Fuck him off to Norwich, will you? Oh Punish him for me, Christian. <laughs> uh, burning question of the week to finish off the show by uh, Mr. Terry Bridge. With a tough December coming up, where do you think Villa will be in the table at the turn of the year? Ooh. Now, we needed these two wins because we would be one... I think we'd be uh, one place off the bottom three by one point. Uh, so oh. these were a good stabilizers, but they also gave us momentum going into what is uh, wait, Manchester City, Leicester, then Liverpool. I mean, it's got us up to 13th, um, which it's actually a dent in quite how low our points tally was. I mean, it shows you how far yeah. off the pace we, we really were. Yeah, you say Do that, you know but I mean? we are four points off Europe. Well, uh, three points off the yeah. whatever the shitty version of Europe is. I'll take it. Well, no, no, that's not the question. It's the question is uh, <laughs> where will we be at the turn of the year? Mm, I I would optimistically say that we'd be the lower top. lower part of the top. Yeah, top. <laughs> Fuck you on our unbeaten run to the title. Um, I I think we'll be in the top half of the table. But well, that 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 would be Gerard doing a really good job. I uh, think. Which I just wonder if we could. Uh, I'm encouraged by what I saw at Palace, I must admit, but that there are some very, very tricky games. We've we've obviously got to stuff those mustard munching wankers when they when we go to those fucking canary shaggers in a couple of weeks. Um, it's a long one. It's a long journey that on a midweek, isn't it as well? Yeah. 
But um, that's probably one to circle. In and around where we are. Yeah. I think we'll be about 11th or 12th. I think we'll make progress and we'll solidify our position here. But I don't know if we'll necessarily be as, as, as upwardly mobile as we want to be. But you never know. I think there's a big clump of teams. There's probably seven, eight teams at least who are all equally consistent from sort of wolves down. I think we need points from the next three games. Uh, and we're talking Manchester City, Leicester and Liverpool. And when I say points, um, you know, one or two, uh, yeah. Yeah. i.e. more than zero. Any spate of three games, if, as long as you're getting points from, that means you're not in uh, decline. We know about five game losing streaks. So, uh, Do you think we'd have won those two games under Smith? It's hard to tell, isn't it? Uh, I'd say no. Both of them, six points, I, I, would, I would probably say no as well. Just because you've got a regalvanization. Yeah, you've got the players more focused. Just it's you know a simple, what, concise, what happens. simple, concise plan. You know, we're not tweaking, we're not fucking about. That's something that I've seen a lot of pundits say about him that he's kept it very, very simple. But like, this is your role. This is your role. That's the attack's role. That's the defense's role. Well, you, you noticed uh, the game against Brighton. Uh, Nanny McPhee was not allowed to talk directly to Gerard, and he was very gingerly. Uh, <laughs> the second, uh, the second game against Palace, he, he's getting a bit braver. Who, who he kind of hooked when they when they well, scored. Hasn't been, but yeah, it's definitely it a, been long for a win since. Cleaner, yeah, cleaner chain of command. It's not. You know, it's, I'm not getting at Nanny McPhee, by the way, but it's just got to this point where there were so many active voices. And this is what I didn't really get with Smith as a whole, where we would talk about this great chorus. You would see him there standing there with four fucking coaches on the sideline. I prefer to have my main man standing there in, in, that, uh, in that area rather than like two or three or four people around him. Gerard's his own man. He keeps you know, very he close counsel, doesn't he, by the looks of it, yeah. But yeah, but I'm I'm saying he doesn't keep close uh, counsel in the technical mm-hmm. area. He's he's his own man. Smith was always there with like three or four people talking, and it's like I want I want a bit, bit more decision, you know, decisive decision. Well, you want clarity, uh, don't you? In the decisions you want, this is what we're yeah. going to do. We're going to go for it, and I and I will communicate that to whoever needs it. Not passing notes to the back four and when that happened, when that I saw that, I just thought, up. Ah, this this does this is not a good this look. It's just too many cooks. There's too many ideas. Too much tweaking. And it's like if you actually if you simplify this. With, you know, with a back four that's already been working and, and clearly a squad that's got talent there, but it, a lot of it you could argue that they just didn't know what it was doing. Well, yeah, it, was, it just there was added layers of confusion that didn't really need to and be over, there. Over complexity, which like why? It's, it's just it's trying to be contemporary for the sake of it. It's change for the sake of change. Answer the question, Chris. Where are we going to be? Eleventh. Uh, we we haven't improved. Personally, is not going to be happy. I'd be happy enough with. I'd go points wise instead of place wise. If we're twenty five points, I'd be happy enough. Twenty five points. What's the context of that? How many have we got we've now? Got Sixteen. So it'll be nine points. However, we get them. So beat Norwich. Got to beat Burnley. Yeah. And Chelsea beat, and, win one, and win one of the big games. Leeds away. Ooh. Never know what Leeds team's going to turn. Take up. a point there. Uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester. I, ooh, I mean, I would be happy with two points out of those. I mean, you know, if we beat Leicester, that'd be great. But uh, ultimately, two points wouldn't be a disgrace. I think I just feel far more optimistic than I did 180 minutes ago. You know that I, I do feel as Dan said optimistic, but I think you go as you'd said, David, quite early in the season that you look at the Villa squad and think actually we can be competitive against anyone. And I look at sort of City yeah. coming to our place. Certainly, someone like Leicester and Chelsea coming to our place. I think actually we're going to give it a right good go. 
Liverpool yeah. away is a really difficult one. That's probably the most difficult at the moment on current form. Yeah. Teams come into Villa Park. I think we've generally, bar a few fleeting moments against well, ten minutes against Wolves and West Ham, we've actually been pretty good at Villa Park. We'll make we'll make things exciting though after we've been dicked by City, Leicester, and Liverpool, <laughs> and we. <we're- laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll be back. The fun will be back then. <laughs> but uh, I mean that, that that's the test is to find out how uh, robust and durable we are to I think the next three games are a nice test of that regardless of results uh, you know if we get hammered 4-0 at Anfield Manchester City blow us away and Leicester beat us then you think an error and well shit we've got work to do here back to the drawing board Stevie G but I don't think we will I think we've got the players to hurt anybody it's just have those players had enough game time so far because of you know the injuries obviously they're adapting to a new manager new systems are these games come a bit too early for us but you know there's never uh a good time to play, really, is there? It's always, there's always some kind of shit going down with the Villa, whether it's COVID, yeah. COVID in the camp, injuries, you know, whatever. But actually, at any point of the season that we could play Manchester City, Liverpool, I think we're in the best place that we've been the whole season so far in terms of yeah. personnel being fit, in terms of belief, momentum, new manager bounce and everything. So I'm not complaining where and we are. And players all feeling like they need to impress the new you know, the new regime. You know, we haven't got to that point where you've got players sulking that they're not in the squad yet. And we're going into a seven games in one month period where we've perhaps, in terms of quality, in terms of depth of quality, probably the strongest we've been yeah. uh, since Martin O'Neill years. Squad-wise, yeah, for sure. So uh, that's the good news, people. That was a squad with Marlon Harewood in it. <laughs> and Habby Bay. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, about then, imagine hmm. if we'd have had a striker of the calibre of Danny Ings on the bench. Oh, 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 get me a head skiing. Oh. We wouldn't have been fucking up top four. <laughs> Let me rephrase this. This is probably the best uh, match day squad in terms of depth we've had since we won the league in uh, 81. <laughs> and even players. then we didn't have a squad. We didn't need a squad. But no, this this is a, a talented squad and uh, it's all about the big thing that Gerard brings to the party, I think, is winning DNA. and mm-hmm. And these players have to respect him respect his authority because uh, you know he is one of the best players the Premier League uh, era has ever seen so uh, and I like his attitude and I don't think he takes any shit and I think he's uh, you know you know who the boss is don't you absolutely yep I think to be fair, like Gary McAllister was the same, wasn't he? As well as a player, he was the same. He was a no nonsense yeah. player. Right, before we go off, I just want to say a big thank you to all the Mailman Said patrons for supporting the show and also joining us for uh, Match Club against uh, Crystal Palace. Looking forward to uh, the Liverpool Match Club, actually. That will be uh, a bit of fun. If you haven't joined us already, uh, do go to uh, mailmansaid.com and click on the patron link to get more details of joining uh, both Match Club, access to the Mailman Said Patron channel, and gates to uh, Babylon, basically. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for everybody who's uh, been a member this year. And uh, if you want to join for a whole year, you can just join for a month, or you can monthly or join for a whole year. If you pay annually, you get uh, two months free, and that's 15% off. Thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at MyOrMansaid and on Instagram at MyOrMansaid as well. If you uh, 
are a regular listener, then uh, do join the uh, the Facebook group, The Mad Few, uh, which is dedicated to the listeners of this show. Right, uh, on that note, any final words? Just win. Yep, here we go. Just win. Right, until next time, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. 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 Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.